He's been bringing remarkable stories to national radio and television for decades. Now let's meet Jay Kernis, one of the talented producers for the award-winning CBS Sunday Morning, a show that has enlightened millions of viewers since 1979. Jay Kernis, welcome to The Cultural Scavenger. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm going to read a synopsis of what you have done in your career. You've been in the business for nearly 50 years as a television and radio producer and as a broadcast executive. You were the founding producer of NPR's Morning Edition and Weekend Edition Saturday and Sunday. You went to CBS as a producer on CBS This Morning, and for five years you worked with 60 Minutes with Leslie Stahl and Mike Wallace. Then you went back to NPR for another seven years, serving as the senior vice president for programming, then became managing editor of CNN, then a producer at NBC, and then came back to CBS. You've won a Peabody Award and numerous Emmy Awards, among others. Jay, that's a hell of a resume. Um, I, uh, thank you. It It's just being old, you know? <laughs> Well, which just that's, a, on. that's a great segue. I mean, you've been at it so long. And when we met a few years ago, and when I see current pictures of you as I'm seeing you now, I've concluded that there has to be that painting up in your attic. <laughs> well, I, uh, well, thank you. I, I, I've actually been blessed. My parents are gone now, but they, they had every kind of cancer you could have. Wow. But somehow they... Uh, they lasted. I think my dad was ninety four when he passed. So I, I was going to uh, say you'll you'll be uh, you know around till your mid one twenties, I guess. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, when I was producing with Mike Wallace, I think he was eighty four years old. Wow, eighty four. Now I'm what I'm only sixty eight, and when I think that at that time Mike was out doing stories in the field. It really amazes me that, you know, that he was able to do it and had that energy and that drive. Well, it's doing something you, that you love. And how long have you been back as producer of uh, CBS Sunday Morning? Um, I'm, I think I'm about to begin my eighth season. Yeah, eighth season. It's a show that's become a ritual for so many people. And they see your name pop up in the opening credits, but they don't know who you are. And Allison was one of those people who watched your work. I don't know if I ever told you this, but even though she worked these crazy hours, she had to get up during the week at three o'clock in the morning and her day was done at noon. She and her boyfriend, Chris Hurst, they would make watching Sunday morning mandatory. And it was it was no busman's holiday. They were true news junkies. Well, that's, that's wonderful to know, uh, especially because... Uh, you know, most, many, a lot of our viewers are um, in their 50s and 60s. So to have Allison and Chris uh, lowering the demographic like that is what it's wonderful to hear. <laughs> Just a fraction. It's like, well, it's, yeah, I and it's like 60 minutes. If, if you look at the commercials, every commercial is for a pharmaceutical that helps old people. I mean, it's, that's the audience. Now, but at least they, uh, you know, like Sunday morning, they've got the audience. Well, in, in New York City, uh, where I live, um, 
we see a lot of the pharmaceutical ads, and before last March, we we saw lots of ads for Broadway shows, um, lots of Broadway show ads, lots of pharmaceutical ads. But there come there came a point where you almost expected um, the Broadway shows to cause side effects. You know, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there, I mean, it, it, to tell you the truth. I, I miss those those commercials. Oh uh, yeah, because obviously theater is very important to the show, and my wife and I loved going to theater. And I've got a couple of pieces on the shelf that we started uh, dealing with Broadway shows, and I don't know when these pieces will get on. Yeah, it's tragic and good segue because how has the pandemic and what's going on in New York or every place else, how has that affected production for you? It is a a miracle that Sunday morning gets on the air each week. Uh, it has a lot to do with a staff, especially the technical staff and the editors who who are working morning till night uh, in the middle of March. Sometime, I think after March, March 16th, we were told basically to vacate the broadcast center, which is where our studios are in New, in New York City. Yeah, because you had a breakout, and, uh, did you not? You had some, some folks that were infected. Yes, um, and unfortunately, we still, every week, a couple of people um, get COVID, and we get that notice. Uh, so... So CBS, Viacom CBS is being very, very careful. Um, I I had just gotten back from a taping with Jesus and Mero, the comedians who have the talk show on uh, on Showtime. And uh, I, I put my stuff down and the word went out, leave the building. Uh, I mean, we had heard that COVID had just started I mean, it was serious, but not as serious as it is today. And I thought, well, maybe it'll be a couple of weeks. I just left. I left my laptop, my CBS laptop, on my desk. I left my notebooks and my research on my desk. And suddenly we realized that we had to do shows from our basements and living rooms and and dining rooms. I'm in my dining room right now where I've been working since March. What it means is that we do interviews on back porches, in backyards. Riverside uh, Park. can't see it, but where Riverside <laughs> Park is, yeah. is just out this window. I'm here on Riverside Drive. Uh, we've done interviews in the park. Before we schedule an interview, we ask the, the guests – are you comfortable? Where would you be comfortable? Sometimes we find like huge halls, enormous places where everyone can spread out, where we can keep the windows open. When the weather was nicer, we, of course, were uh, in the park. And even to be able to get a crew, uh, you fill out a pretty detailed form where you're going to be, who's going to be with you. Are you following the company's protocols? A group of people then then have to okay that, you know, approve it. Then the morning you shoot, you go onto an app. You're asked about how you're feeling. 
you show your CBS ID card, then you take out a thermometer and you take your temperature in front of a nurse, wherever she is in Milwaukee or Oklahoma, <laughs> and then everybody gets notice an email that you're cleared and that that's for your correspondent and for your crew. And of course, when you're out there, you're wearing a mask, you socially distance, you're carrying gloves and wipes and masks. And then it gets very technical. What used to take minutes takes hours and hours. Sunday morning has been on the air for 40 years. Uh, we have one of the most amazing executive producers I have ever worked for, the enormous success, six million viewers, is mostly due to him. And his vision is very clear. I mean, it goes back to Charlie Kuralt and Charles Osgood and Shad Northshield, who created the show. But we had a pretty good idea what he wants, what will actually get on the air. And I have worked for shows that were not as clear as that. And you're sort of trying to figure out each week or each month, what do these executives want? We know what our executive producer wants and we try to deliver it. And it's very grown up, which is to say, and this surprises people, unless it's an investigative piece, he really doesn't look at our scripts beforehand. Mm -hmm. He looks at what we consider to be the finished piece and sometimes he'll change the structure a little. More than likely, he'll change a word or two. He'll ask to change a shot. But even when he asks us to change a word, it makes the piece better. But all of that happens in our living rooms and uh, in our basements. Who knows when we'll get back? Well, hopefully. Well, maybe, you know, hopefully. In the fall? Uh, uh, like to think so. I, you know, I'd like to come up and see some theater again. It's it's right. It's just as would everybody else. Well, along those lines, you you mentioned in an interview a while back that somebody asked sixty minutes. Uh, I guess the executive producer Don Hewitt why the show was such a success, and he said, "Tell me a story." Tell exactly. me a story. Exactly. And, the the four, um, four words that every kid asks, tell me a story. Yes. And, and in fact, the program from his memorial service has the stopwatch and those words on it. You know, it's four words that every kid knows. Tell me a story. And I looked at it every day. And you would think that's simple. Mm -hmm. It's not simple because... Stories have beginnings and middles and ends. There are stories in television that get on TV that don't. There are ideas that are just existence, like something exists. But is there a story to tell where, where the viewer will think, oh, I want to know more? Are the characters interesting? Are the characters worth putting on television? Is there a reason to care about them? But... Don Hewitt, you know, who created 60 Minutes and produced it for so many years, reduced the art of it to a couple of words, and it has always held true. Yeah. Uh, when I think we probably have around 20 producers, we get pitched 30 to 50 stories a day. But they, for the most of them, they aren't stories. 
They're something that exists someplace, a theater company, a product, someone doing something. And you have to work as a producer and as a correspondent to figure out, is there something worth telling? Yeah. And that's one of the things that I was so proud of Allison because she was a good storyteller and she, she had to tell stories. She had to come up with them and then tell stories every Monday through Friday. And that's how she won a Murrow Award for, for one of the documentaries that she did. Who comes up with the story? Who brings you the story? And who decides there's something here? Stories come from every source imaginable. I, I would like to say there's a, a system there isn't. If you're lucky enough to work on a show that knows what its purpose is and knows why the audience loves you, then it's easier to sort out. But what happens is you as a producer are reading everything you can get your hands on until you've read too much. You know, you're reading papers and magazines and websites. All your friends, now most of your friends after a while sort of give up because <laughs> they know it's it's very difficult. The bar is very, very high. Every now and then, uh, friends will say, hey, have you thought about this? And you want to be polite and say, oh, no, I, I haven't. But you know what? <laughs> you probably thought about it because yeah. you're thinking about so many things. My wife uh, is in the business. Uh, she She's very good about story yeah. ideas. But then because, you know, you're on national television, hundreds and hundreds of story ideas come in every day to lots of producers. And let's say a hundred stories come in to each producer each week. We may then send one of them to our executive producer, Rand Morrison. He is likely to reject 95% of them. The bar is very, very high. But a lot of the ideas come from curiosity, come from conversations. I work with Mo Rocco, one of our correspondents. I work with him frequently. I mean, as a producer, we work with all different correspondents. But Mo and I have conversations about famous actresses we love. Now, we've already done Angie Dickinson. We've done Mitzi Gaynor. There are some pieces on the shelf. And once a month, we have a conversation. Who's out there? Who do we love? Who deserves attention? And then here I will take some of the names from that list to our executive producer. When we were in the office our executive producer would walk around and just have conversations with producers. What are you thinking about? What's on your mind? So in pre-pandemic days, how long did it take then and how long would it take now? So some stories take months. I've had a story that waited a year, but I've also, uh, Mo Rocca and I were sent to California and they uh, my boss said he needed, he knew we were doing three stories in, in Los Angeles. One of them, he knew on Friday, we were, Thursday and Friday, we were going to spend with Vanna White on Wheel of Fortune. Well, one of the celebrity pieces fell out. So he said, can you have it on the air this Sunday? Now, this is <laughs> Friday, right? This is Friday. Yeah. We're in California. And... 
We did. We stayed up all night. We wrote a script. We sent all the material back to New York. We got on an airplane, got in Saturday afternoon, finished the piece, I think, four in the morning that Sunday. Wow. And it and it aired. That's called a crash. So there some pieces you do in a couple of days. Uh, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, you have a couple of weeks. Right. One of the other things that I read uh, in a in a piece that you did a while back, it was called the "Why Should I Care" test, which is a an integral part of how this story gets to be birthed. Part of it has to do with being in the news business, about being a journalist, and you know the training is that there are stories that viewers may not care about, but if you think it's important enough and your bosses think the story is important enough, then you need to find the best way to tell the story that will hold the audience's attention, which means talk about story focus. How much of the story are you going to tell? How much can you tell in the time you're given? What will be memorable? What's important? What will be surprising? Again, it involves finding the best characters to tell that story. As producers, we're very aware that we do these stories that we put our heart and soul into, and we're thrilled if six million people watch it, but we're very aware that there's something called TikTok, and that a hundred million people are watching these three people dance in their garage for 20 seconds. Uh, that's the competition. The competition is enormous. And so uh, part of it has to do with the show you you work on. Now, we Obviously, have an audience that yeah. has made it very clear that Sunday morning is an oasis, that people are getting enough news during the week. They realize we're a news show, but there's a time, especially on Sunday morning, which in many homes is a very spiritual time, that, you know, unless it's breaking news or unless we have an interview or a perspective that's that's new they want other kinds of stories it's intellectual comfort food yes p yes people want to be comforted a at the same time they also want to know that good things are happening in the world that mm -hmm. people are doing caring things we usually have a steve hartman piece every week and anybody who knows him that's his bread and butter. He finds he finds people that are doing remarkable things. Mm -hmm. And anybody who's seen his pieces, uh, his pieces are always a dare. The dare is, okay, he's not going to make me weep. And more than not, he, he makes you he makes you weep. So if we can explain trends, if we can explain if we, if we can answer the how and why questions, how did something happen? Why did something happen? Uh, we think we will hold viewers, but we realize, you know, uh, there's a lot of competition out there. I mean, you sound great on this on this podcast, but well, well thank you. Are, you know, you're you're doing something very brave. There are hundreds and thousands of podcasts out there now. Sure, you're in that position that that I'm in with my fellow producers and correspondents, what can we do that will help make sense of the world? What can we do that will entertain? And and that's one of the things that Don Hewitt, 
made clear, he always said at 60 Minutes that he was very fortunate that uh, he was able to follow the paths of the two Eds, Edward R. Murrow in terms of journalism and uh, Ed Sullivan so, in terms of entertainment. And yeah. entertainment was was not a negative word to him. You know, he always made it clear you have to capture an audience's attention, hold their attention and keep them for the length of the piece. Yeah. And that's why I am doing what I'm doing, because I I didn't want to have this thing focus on the stuff that I've been known for, gun control, et cetera, because, you know, there's only so much of that that people can can take. And I wanted to do something a lot more light and fun and and in, in well, its if, own way, do it. Do if it, anybody is still listening at this point, I am very grateful. I'm very grateful <laughs> they made it this far into the into the podcast. Well, so. that's okay. I'll be doing plenty of editing. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, thank you. But that's why I wanted to do this podcast because I, I wanted to take kind of a Sunday morning approach to it. You deliver a, different points of view and different things that people just they wouldn't expect. Oh, okay. Here's Jay Kernis. We don't know this guy, but now we do. And so it's that kind of discovery that, that I wanted to share. I've been very fortunate, uh, especially my work at NPR and, and CBS and also NBC. I've been very lucky that I've worked with some of the most talented people in the business and talent that was very willing to, especially in television, to have me learn. When I started at mm. CBS in in 1987, I, I could turn a TV on and off. I had no idea how to make television. And my first anchors were Harry Smith and Kathleen Sullivan at, at CBS this morning. They taught me a lot and they were very, very patient. But I've always, especially all my years at NPR, I worked with incredibly talented people and I learned a couple of things. And, and this is what I told, what I would always tell younger people when I'm mentoring them. They have a very difficult job. They walk up the ladder and they're on the high wire. And they are about to walk across the high wire. You're the producer. You're on the ground. You're looking up at them, smiling, waving. <laughs> they're looking down, thinking, oh, my God, what am I doing up here? They know how to do it but they want to see the net. They want to see you there holding the net. And that network is having done your research, making sure everything technically possible is going to go well, making sure you've controlled the weather and the amount of time and the schedule, et cetera, et cetera. They want to look down and see that everything is fine so they can walk across the high wire. And I was on radio for years. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to not trust the research you have or not sure what's going on in the control room. Why are those people walking around when I'm trying to do this interview? Why is somebody yelling at somebody else through the glass? So one, it's, it's my job to hold out the net. Two, I need to understand what the correspondent or the anchor do really well and make sure they can do more of that. I need to help build a stage that they can perform on. And once you get close with 
certain correspondents or anchors, you're able to even say to them, you know what, let's not put this in the piece. Let's work on this kind of idea another time that you can get to the point where they will trust you to make sure what they do well gets on the air and where they need a little, little improvement, you protect them. If they bobble a question or, or the tonality is wrong, you can say to them, you know what, the question doesn't work the way you asked it. Let's put that in, in script. It is, it is your responsibility to make sure that the people who are on the air are wonderful. Yeah. And whatever it takes to do that is what you do as a producer. Your satisfaction comes from having them succeed. Thank you for this wonderful conversation that, that we've had. This is uh this has been a lot of fun. Well, it's it's always a pleasure talking with you. You know I admire you and and the work that you do and as much as you're an activist, you're also a remarkable teacher, and I am very grateful for your lessons. So thank you. Ah, uh, thank. That's way too kind of you, Jay. Thank you so much, Jay Kernis, everybody. I'll put in a plug for you because the beauty of online is that you can watch all of Jay's great stuff on the CBS News app. It's always a treasure. Take care, my friend. Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Marianne Kennedy, Pat Bunch, and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from Safe in the Arms of Love, a song Allison loved. If you liked what you heard, please share my podcast with your friends. And if you really liked what you heard, please consider becoming a contributor to the podcast. I'm Andy Parker, and I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening.